the share it with a friend deal, even if that friend is yourself. Your McDonald's, your rules. Live your best morning with BOGO breakfast sandwiches only on the McDonald's app. Now buy one bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles or sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and get a second one free. Valid for item of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one per day. Excludes one, two, three dollar menu. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Well, greetings and salutation, fellow members of Movie Club. Welcome. To the new meeting of Movie Club, I pound my imaginary gavel, and no, that's not a euphemism, to call this meeting of Movie Club to order as we are here to talk about what some people consider to be the greatest comic book movie of all time. I don't personally have got in my top three, but some people consider the best comic book movie ever made, the masterpiece by Christopher Nolan, The Dark Knight. To hear, to talk about Dark Knight with me, of course, is Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how you doing? John, I'm doing very, very well. I'm a planner. And what's what is it, a schemer? Is that, is that what it is? A schemer? Schemer. Schemer. Sitting next to him is the king of the schemers. He's Ray Ora. Ray, how you king doing? Scheme right here, baby. <laughs> that was a <laughs> euphemism. Uh, and I, of course, and John Campion, of course, we're joined here by the Joker as well. It is good to see you guys and to have you guys here as we are here to talk about uh, The Dark Knight, a truly remarkable film that even today, what year did The Dark Knight come out? 2008. That even now today, 14 years later, oh my God, I just felt old. 14 years later, still holds up, still considered to be one of the greatest comic book films of all time. Still, for a lot of people, their favorite movie of all time. Mm. Uh, and it was an absolute triumph, The Dark Knight. When I started watching this thing last um, last night, again, I was like, if this released in the movie theater like yesterday, it would still be acceptable. I mean, it's it's a good-looking film. It's a great-looking film. Oh, it's uh, a, you, had yeah, you seen this before, Ray? Who I was, have. Who okay. was the cinematographer on it? Was it, um, uh, It's um, Wally Fister. I was going to say, it was Wally Fister, right? who went on to try to become a director, did that Johnny Depp movie, and he never directed again. No. But anyway, but yeah, Wally Pfister was did great on this. I still remember. Oh, and guys, look, I should let you guys know, this is how uh, Movie Club is going to go. The three of us are going to talk about the movie here for a bit, and then once we're done talking about it amongst ourselves, we're going to throw it open to you guys, the other members of Movie Club. If you want to get in a thought, observation, comment, whatever, about The Dark Knight, go ahead and use the Super Chat feature in there, and we'll read those off. Once we get to the uh, once we get to the end of us talking about this, and it's welcome to everybody who is joining us today for Movie Club. Good to have you all here. So let's get into it. The opening. Let's start right from the opening. This was the first movie that used IMAX cameras. The first mainstream Hollywood film to use IMAX cameras to create sequences in the opening. Yeah, sequence. at least for sequences. Yes. But I remember I the very first press screening I went to, they did it at a full IMAX theater. And I remember, because the movie just opens, and you see that cityscape with a camera pushing in. Yep. And I remember being in the theater when that came on, because that's one of the sequences in IMAX. And that came on, and we were just like, oh, my God. Like, it looks so good. And they had released that sequence by itself, like, six months earlier. I don't know if you ever went and saw, saw an IMAX, but... 
Well, I agree with you, John. That shot and then the the, the glass blows out. The yeah. camera pushes in yeah. and, and these guys. And how about that music? The yeah, that's what I was going to I mean, everything about it is is just, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, and then they push in, of course. And then the very first person we see, even though we don't know it yet, is Joker with his mask in his hand. Camera pushes in. Car pulls up. He jumps in the car. Off they go to the bank. And, of course, the bank the bank heist ensues. And, of course, eventually the guys all start. Immediately we get exposed to the fact that Joker is a schemer. He had this all planned out. Oh, yes. Each of the guys start to take each other out and all that kind of stuff. I love that one part when the guy's breaking into the safe. And the guy behind him says, hey, where's the camera hacker? And he's like, uh, boss told me to shoot him one less share funny he told me something similar <laughs> wait no it's like oh my god as soon as that i'm like okay this is gonna be fun and it, it there's so many uh, this whole sequence is very evocative of michael mann you know about like the, the bank heist and heat when they take down the bank yeah. in downtown la I, it's so i mean it and it's really elegantly photographed there's there's no real shaky cam here it's it's nope. just it's this beautifully composed very the it's muted colors and you're immediately drawn into this world there's a realism established as opposed to say the the at the beginning of batman and robin with the people on skates right so yeah. as far away from this as possible i mean even i mean this one of the great things about this is it immediately establishes a tone i love to say verisimilitude but there is a lot of verisimilitude in this sequence and it feels very immediate but because it's shot in imax it is larger than life. You haven't seen anything quite like this before. And I have to go back to the music that's playing throughout this whole scene. It's 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 in the background, but it's it tenses you up. It's like a real tense scene throughout the whole thing. Like it. Oh yeah, it just feeds into that yeah, so yeah. well. It's almost like a drone. Yeah, but it's it's so well, and the way the scene just builds and builds and builds. And you know who you're stealing from. <laughs> by the way, William Fitchner, William Fitchner, and that's you, by the way, uh, Aaron, our own Aaron Cummins did a show with him before. Uh, but yeah, who pops up in everything. Yeah. I remember the first time I, who, I met, who was also in heat. Yeah. He was in heat. The first time I met William Fitchner, it was, I think it was for, was he in red? I can't remember if he was in red or not, but I, I was, I was mm. interviewing him for, for something. And it kind of came up that I was Canadian he goes, we're from, from, we're from in Canada. I'm like, uh, my, my hometown is Hamilton, Ontario. It's like, dude, one of my favorite memories. She's, she's got favorite memories ever, ever. I went to go see, what was it, Ozzy or something like that. I drove across the border. We went to Iverwind Stadium in Hamilton, Ontario to see this concert. We got, you know, we drank on that side of the border and blah, blah. He just went into it. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. I had never interviewed a movie star who started talking to me about my hometown. So that was pretty great. Because do you have any idea who you're stealing from? And just the fact that the way he comes out of his office, just blowing these guys away with his gun and even when he's dying he's like defiant right right hey, the crooks in this town they used to be honor and stuff like that <laughs> and you know he, i guess i can't remember does he live no well okay, so wait a minute. he puts the the thing in his mouth he puts the grenade in his mouth and then the pin comes out and the smoke, smoke comes, comes out. out does the explosion happen afterwards i can't remember i don't think it explodes i uh, think so maybe he lived? i thought he detonated it when, as soon as it got into the into the bus didn't no, he? when he got in the bus and he drove away and that pulled the pin out and then just psh, 
the but smoke I, came out. But he was I, I shot pretty badly. And the one thing about this opening sequence, my only critique of it is that Joker is using like a machine gun and you don't see any blood squibs. Like nobody in these in the in the Nolan Batman series, they can't show blood because they would get an R rating with that kind of a violence. So that that's a compromise that Nolan had to make as a filmmaker in order to get that rating. But the key is you never felt the compromise. You never felt like it. everything, even from the pen, the the iconic, legendary pencil scene, or when he kills uh, Michael Jai White, or when whatever, like. Yeah, you realize when you go back and watch it, wow, you, we didn't actually see blood, we didn't see a lot of stuff, but you never felt No, like because, you didn't I mean, blood. when he slams that head down on that desk, oh, with the, I mean, it's brutal. What I love about the Joker, especially from that first scene, is the way he handles guns. He's so careless, but when he needs to uh, target and shoot something, he's so spot on. <laughs> yeah. You know, but he's so scared. He's, he's like just just wailing it everywhere and it just spraying bullets everywhere and then the 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 reveal of his face that you line. know uh, uh, the line you know makes you strange yeah. and what do so, you believe in what's so great about oh, yeah. that is is it announces that this is not jack nicholson's joker oh right away this is a man you know who has a, a deeply scarred face and the 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 makeup he wears is more like war paint than anything else i mean it's it's there's no care and when it's just smeared all over his face which makes him that much scarier and by the way let me we're going to come across this at some point anyway so let me just bring it up now as you get further and further away from something and as something is known to be one of the greatest ever you can start to forget how great that one something was mm. heath ledger <laughs> as joker my God, it is. You know, there, there's. I still remember back in the time, a lot of people, oh, the only reason he's nominated for an Oscar is because he died. If he didn't die, they wouldn't have given it to him. Yes, they fucking would have. They absolutely still, if he had lived, he absolutely would have still won that Academy Award and he absolutely deserved it. That scene, like, here's the thing. He took every mundane bit of dialogue. Like, I remember when they called him crazy. He's talking to the mobsters, right? He goes, I'm not crazy. I'm not I mean, even just the way he says that, and, right? It's like, oh my goodness. By the way, I, I have a really good friend that worked on this film and was on set. And he, you know, it's one thing to read the dialogue as written. The thing that people forget about this performance is that he truly created something that wasn't on the page. His line delivery and the way he decided to to do all that, the, the, the lip smacking and the tongue and all that... All it, th this is what makes a great performance. You can't explain s to somebody. You can't go. What I'd like you to do is this. You, that's not how actors work. This was something that he had brought brought from himself internally, and that's why you're absolutely right. They didn't give this to him because he died. He would have won this whether he was alive or not. This is one of the great, the great pieces of acting, and I would say in the 21st century certainly. I agree because it's an actor at the height of his craft creating something you know when you write a screenplay john you always want an actor to to take something the lines you've written the dialogue and breathe new life into it right, something yeah. that isn't on the page something that you as a writer or a director didn't even envision and this is the height this is the pinnacle of that and i'm sure i i don't know if i've ever heard christopher nolan talk about this i would love to know what he thought the first time he 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 said action 
mm. on set and he heard or he saw because my buddy David Irwin, who was on set and working for DC at the time, said that it was just people would just sit on the set and marvel at what he was saying and what he was doing. Like you, it, he said it was like nothing he'd ever seen before. Yeah. And I, I mean, all of us when we first heard he was cast, right? We could bring that up. Like the well, guy the world, from, the guy oh, yeah. from ten, ten, ten reasons, or what is it? Ten ways to, I hate you, or whatever. That Brokeback Mountain boy. Yeah, and, I mean that that was it. Like really, that guy. And and also how Batman Begins was, I was afraid of the Joker. Like, is he going to be so far out there? Like, it's going to take me out of the the um, the theme that Nolan was going yeah, for. Yeah, because you think about Jack's Joker, you th which fit perfectly in the Tim Burton Batman. Right. But you just know the way this movie's already feeling, just from the wide city shot, the bank robbery. Jack's Joker's not going to fit in here. Cesar Romero's Joker is not going to fit in here. What are they going to give us? Well, and I and think that opening scene established what they're going to give us. Yeah. There's a reality here and a craziness. And I think that um, also, you know, this movie is as much about the Joker as it is about the Dark Knight. It's about Batman because that whole scene when he walks in and addresses the Gotham underworld, you know, if you want to do something, you should get paid for it or whatever he says. And if yeah. you're good at something, I, you I should get... My father always told me if you're good at something... Never do it for free. Never do it for free. And I mean, they didn't, that's a long scene where you're really establishing who this guy is and yeah. how he just doesn't, you know, he's, I love when he, when he has the, he, he opens up his jacket showing all the grenades, you know, and he's just kind of looking he, around. He yeah, thumb, yeah. yeah, he has the little, the little thumb ring. And they never doubted for a second he would off himself to kill them too. Right. They never doubted it for a second. Actually, throughout the movie, he, he was he kind of wanted to die. Yeah, he was Many careless. Many times like when Batman's riding the bat pod, and he's come on, I want you to do it. He's not. He knows Batman can't even hear. He's like, I want you to do it. I want you to do it. And then, even then, like when Batman near the end, when he throws him off the building, right? He's like laughing. He's like, yeah. Oh and then God. almost like a disappointment when Batman catches him by the like, ah. Like, uh, uh, yeah, he was like the that, way they played that. That part was so cool. I didn't. I didn't expect that in the theater when um he actually got out of the the truck that had just flipped over and i was like oh no he's going head to head against batman on the uh bat cycle or whatever you call it and the he just stood, yeah and he just stood there and was like come on even in an interrogation room he was like just laughing at batman and he's trying to beat the crap out of him oh he was loving it well, yeah, absolutely he was loving it that's the joker i love like that's the crazy joker from the animated um movies the one that's careless just careless and doesn't care he just wants to get you know just have his laughs but it was like, all part of the plan yeah it was all part of the plan i mean you know people talk about how this is 2008 we we were seven years after 9 11 and Michael Caine has the line that some men just want to watch the world burn. And the idea that that what he he represents complete chaos, complete anarchy. And I don't think he really cares one way or another what happens. He's just an agent of chaos. And in a way, he doesn't care what happens. It all works for him because the whole thing that he's presenting both to the Gotham underworld and to Batman is that all the things that you believe in, all of it. It's all bullshit. I mean, and I am here to tell you, it doesn't matter who you are, or what side of the world you're on. I'm going to show you why everything you believe in is BS. And then uh, the kooky part in the hospital where he's in that nurse's dress, too. 
Oh my god. That's, that's like just... the Joker Joker from the animated series right there. And another like... moment where he was like, yeah, shoot me. He, he he gave Harvey the gun. He wanted Harvey to shoot him because he wanted to push Harvey. He even make the end of his own life. He wanted to finish the job pushing Harvey over the edge and now he's too far gone and, and he was ready to go. Because he, in a way, he kind of is similar to the character that Spacey plays in Seven. You know, Spacey's drawing everybody in. He's way ahead of you. But at the end of the day, He's proving that all of the things that we believe in, everything that makes us good and everything, whether it's justice or whether it's our own belief in, in God's will or the Judeo-Christian culture we've all belonged to. He's like, nope, let me show you how quickly I can burn it away for you all. You all think you're moral, good people. Nah, nah. And that's what he tried to do to Harvey. If Harvey killed the Joker, then the Joker wins. Just and, like John Doe one and seven. And this really was a sh like if it wasn't called the Dark Knight, it would be called the joker really right i mean he on the posters the the marketing half of the posters was just him and it just said dark knight on it but it was all heath ledger's joker i yeah. mean i i love it well deserved because he's he's the standout of this movie there's nothing else re no one else could have played this part the way he did no but you got to give it up to christian bale though because this could his performance could have overwhelmed the entire film but it doesn't it works because bale balances out the nuttiness and by the way you know whether it's whether it's maggie gyllenhaal or whether you know you've got the harvey dent character and aaron eckhart and gary oldman again a standout as commissioner gordon and everything that's happening in the in the film all of these actors are incredibly strong that's one of nolan's suits is that he hires these incredible actors and there's not a there's not a a weak link in the chain and um now you brought up you brought up harvey dent let's talk about aaron eckhart in here for a second a, a great example of stories are not there to serve the characters characters are there to serve the story and while i remember when this movie came out there was a lot of lamentation about the fact that they killed two i mean i remember after this movie so many people were convinced two-face wasn't dead that that Harvey wasn't dead. It's like, yeah, he's dead. No, no, you you wouldn't bring him in just to kill him off like that. Yes, you do, because it served the story. And characters are there to serve the story, not the other way around. But Aaron Eckhart, who I don't know why he's not a huge A-list star still today. Like when you look at things like Thank You for Smoking and the, the dude's incredible. But what he brought to this character First of all, there were two different characters he had to do. One, he had to be the White Knight. You know, Batman was the Dark Knight. He was the White Knight. He was truly that the flip side of Batman's coin. Absolutely. Right? He was the other side of that coin. He was still, like Batman, brave, courageous, ready to stand up to corruption and evil and all that kind of stuff. But he did it all in the light, right? He still had an I don't give a F kind of attitude, but he was doing it all in the light. And he was that guy. And you could totally get why rachel would fall in love with him you totally get it but then he had to be two-face and by the way the visual effects on two-face <laughs> to this day are disturbingly realistic i mean disturbingly real yeah. like you, you the way he would talk the way the muscles would move and the eyeball the way the eyeball would move was it freaked me the hell out and you know it was great because it was very redolent of how he was drawn in the comics that face like you'd look at the comic version of it or the animated version and go they could never do that 
on a real human face. But lo and behold, they did. Uh, way too good, too, because that thing gave me nightmares uh, for a well, few weeks afterwards. And even like in, in the in the thing when he's laying on the ground and the gasoline spilling, and it's the gasoline starting to cover half of his face, and you're like, oh, we know where this is going. Uh -huh. <laughs> as we see it's happening, and then the thing happens. And so, like, full kudos. As much as it's kind of like Paul Dano in There Will Be Blood, because he gets overlooked in that because the greatest actor of all time was also in that movie with him and, and outshot. And I think there's also a little bit of that here that I think Aaron Eckhart's performance often gets overlooked a little bit because Heath Ledger was so brilliant as Joker. We forget how good Aaron Eckhart was as well, both as Harvey Dent and for the short time that he was Two-Face. And that just played off again so well. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox became like more and more valuable to this franchise as the two the first two films progressed, got in there to the point where he's very smart. By the way, that conversation between Fox and the employee who figured out that Bruce Wayne was Batman. What's his name? Reese or something? Reese, something like that. Yeah. And he's like, let me, okay, let me get this straight. So one of the richest, most powerful men in the world who goes out at night and beats criminals out to a bloody pulp with his bare fists. And your plan is to blackmail him? He didn't have to say anything else. By the way, he can get in and out of China the whole bit. And even at the end, standing up to Bruce and saying, all right, I'll help you this one time. But then as long as it's here, I'm not. I'm resigning. Yeah, consider it my res resignation. Yeah, this will be my resignation. But Bruce already figured that out. I said, no, he knew Lucius wouldn't stand for this. So he had it self-destruct. So he was all good. But Morgan Freeman, we mentioned Gary Oldman was fantastic in it. Um, well, I love, damn it, who played Rachel again in the first one? Um, Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes. Katie Holmes. As much as I thought Katie Holmes was perfectly good in the first one, a little miscast, but perfectly good, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal just seemed to fit the role a little bit better. She carried herself the way, like she presented Rachel in a way that I, now I saw what Bruce saw in her. Right. Whereas I didn't really see in her what Bruce saw in her in the first film. I got it this time. Not saying that she's not as good of an actress as, as Maggie Gyllenhaal. I'm just saying their approaches, I thought Maggie's worked a little bit better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I thought Katie Holmes in, in Batman Begins was, you still saw a lot of the little girl that she was presented as in the opening of the movie where you met her and Bruce playing together in Wayne Manor as young, young kids. When she grew up, she looked too sweet almost to be, just the way she looked. She was too sweet. She wasn't as hard-edged as you wanted her to be, whereas Maggie Gyllenhaal, I believe she could tear it up because she, too, working with Aaron Eckhart, they 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 were going after the corruption in the city, and they've been doing it for a long time. And you had to believe it because I didn't necessarily believe Katie Holmes as this character. I thought she was good, but did I believe her? Well, see, here's the thing. Being Gotham... Maggie Gyllenhaal brought a New York swagger yes. to the character. You I know actually, what I mean? Whereas Katie Holmes had that sweet town Alabama still kind of feel to her. Yes. And, it's like, and that's great. It's just that Maggie's approach fit the character a little bit better, I think. I, I actually thought they should be, switch movies. Like Maggie would have been better in Batman <laughs> Begins and Katie Holmes fit the Dark Knight more. Just because she was in distress, like, you know, right before, I think right. it would came off. Uh, but also... I thought one of the ways that this movie was an improvement as well, when you're watching the combat scenes, look, the combat and the combat action scenes are still not the strong point of these Batman no. movies. But I did feel like the combat in this thing, like even when like near the end when he's having to take out the cops, because the cops are there to shoot the wrong people, he realized. But even in that, you could just tell it was shot better. 
you felt like you were in the action a little bit more and better. So that was actually, I thought, one of the ways that this movie kind of stepped up. We got a much better look at the underworld. Like, instead of just seeing Carmine, now we see Maroney, we see all these. By the way, I don't remember what the name of the, the one criminal was, but the um, the European one, the one who had the say about, my dogs are hungry. Yeah. Like, like whatever, whatever. The Russian mobster. Yeah, I don't know if he's supposed to be Russian or if he's supposed to be whatever, but I mean, I thought he was great. Yeah. I loved him. I loved the whole cry. I love that scene where they're meeting in the kitchen, have like the council of villains and whatever. The one where your Heath Ledger then comes in. By the way, I love that scene in there when they have, I forget the uh, the Chinese businessman's name, oh. but he's on the TV. He goes, I know a rat when I see him. And he's a squealer or whatever it was. He's whatever oh, no, he calls yeah, it. It was remember. great. Oh, so and, good. And I have to say, you know, I, I always kind of went back and forth on the idea that yeah, Batman and Alfred or, uh, and Lucius Fox, and they they mount a they mount. By the way, Lao, yes, people in the live chat, Lao, yeah, Lao. Lao. They mount an extraction in Hong Kong. Now, I always kind of thought that scene's great. I love that scene in Hong Kong, but the idea that they left Gotham and traveled halfway around the world to to extradite Lao themselves, I was well, like, what, hey, when you're one of the richest, <laughs> yeah, richest you can guys do it. in the you world, can do it. it doesn't matter. Although I did, I remember thinking, like as awe-inspiring as that scene was he dies off the one building pulls out the bat wings goes flying into the windows starts to take everybody out but then that moment when he sends up the little balloon the jeep wrangler 4xe it's electrified so you can boogie woogie woogie up a mountain over creeks or boogie woogie woogie through a desert where you get bit by a pit viper so you boogie woogie woogie back to camp and ask your friends if they'll suck the snake venom out when they say no you boogie woogie woogie to the nearest hospital for a dose of anti-venom and boogie woogie woogie your way to a full recovery the electrified jeep wrangler 4xe learn more at jeep.com jeep is a registered trademark of fca us llc and then the beep, cable and the beep. thing catches yeah. them and the whoo, first of all probably would have broke their necks but huh. that i remember they're going out and it's just this big double propeller plane i'm like China doesn't have radar. They can't. Oh, they cleared that. Follow that. Wayne plane. Industries cleared that yeah, plane. Right, you're, you're probably right. Wayne Industries. Part of the, 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 Lau's the part of the plane. underworld. You know, flying over us right now. <laughs> I still can't see. Yeah, it. I mean, you know, the the, the the tongs, the Chinese gangs are like, ah, eh, what good riddance that guy. And I'm glad you brought up the Russian guy because it showed you like Joker's not only badass towards Bat Batman. He's badass towards other villains. Oh yeah, he doesn't get like, about anybody. That's why he came came out to be so cool to me. Like even after watching it last night, I was like, okay, I hate to bring it up the the Batman, the Riddler, his performance. I I got to put him over that one still. <clears throat> and He's still the, the best villain. The scope of this movie too, like when you saw the, the I guess the funeral scene when uh, Heath Ledger's dressed as a cop and that kind of pandemonium. There's great set pieces in this movie, but. But that action scene, the bad pod versus the Joker, the flipping of the semi truck, which they did for real. Uh, I mean, they're, they're incredible sequences. I have to ask you something, Rob, like or, or both of you guys on that bat bat pod scene when he's racing through. You hear the sound of but some shots to me, it just looks way too slow. It wasn't matching the sound. Did you get that? Well, I didn't, I didn't personally. No, I, it didn't bother me. I mean, look, they I never feel that anything goes as fast as it should in these Batman movies because uh -huh. you know, it can't. It's not the Fast and the Furious in any of these movies. Yeah, in any let's, of this. Let's call what it is it, in it, almost any of these movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, the Tim Burton, the Batmobile is driving like 
25 miles an hour. It's never going very right. fast. It can't even turn a corner. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry, but in speed, the movie Speed, that bus is never going that fast. Yeah, like they show the shots, it's like, yeah. that bus is not going the speed they're saying it's going. I, I mean, but in this, in this movie, I really did. I picked because the bat pod, I thought it moved fast enough. I mean, there's there's so much great stuff in this that I enjoyed those those scenes a lot. And, you know, there is when he's on the when when, when Joker's there and he's squaring off against the bat pop that you were talking uh -huh. about, he's got the gun. I mean, the Joker, this is the end of could be the end of the world for him. He could be losing his life. The Joker could be losing his life in any one of these scenes. He might have been in the hospital when it blew up. You know, he might have been killed by these villains. He doesn't care. He just wants to cause chaos and disorder. One, one of the things you remind me of, of this scene is when B Batman is down, right? And one of his henchmen try to grab his cowl off and he gets electrocuted. Joker, just like, he's like ah, and then he does the little electrocuting, like mimics him. Yeah. Those little things made this movie for me. Like, it was so funny. It was so Again, hilarious. Ledger picking up on that stuff. I'm sure all of that came right out of him. By the way, another one of my favorite scenes, and again, it involves Ledger. It's funny how most of my favorite scenes involve Ledger in this, but it's when he sneaks into Michael Jai's whites. They, they think he's dead. They bring him in. Then he's got his two surviving guys. And he goes, we've got an opportunity for expansion. Unfortunately, <laughs> we only have one spot open, so we're going to have tryouts. And he drops the, the spear of the broken pool cue. Go at it. And you know what? The funny thing is, we didn't even need to see that mm -hmm. scene play out. Like, even if those two guys are on their knees and they have to look at each other and they realize one of us has to kill the other. I mean, one of us getting out is going to die here. I mean, that's just it. And I just remember, oh, my God, this is so good. This is so it, well done. It was brutal without even having to see anything. Yes. Half, half of the movie. It's just, I'll give you this idea in your head. I won't show it to you. But and you just think about it and it's crazy, right? It's like, yeah. And then and then what's what's really what's really I think uh, uh, people don't talk about it enough is that once Harvey Dent is disfigured and he becomes Two-Face, Joker has succeeded in doing something that he's always succeeded in doing, which is destroying one half of the scales of justice. The light, you know, you talk about the dark night. This is he's the light night. The Joker destroys him. You know, and and takes away takes away the veneer of civilization from Harvey Dent. And he's become that agent of chaos. What what 9-11 brought to the United States and drove us all crazy. That's what happens with Harvey Dent. So the Joker is succeeding. So as he moves through this story, the Joker is sowing the seeds of discontent. He is he is slowly but surely beginning to rip Gotham City apart at every level. So he is winning. And I love that throughout the film that it just becomes more and more and more dangerous for everybody because the Joker does not care. And when he's having that big conversation with Batman near the end of their, their he's talk, talking to him about like, oh, they need you now. But the moment they don't, they're going to toss you out. They're going to like all this kind of stuff. And the thing is, I got the sense that all throughout this movie, other than when he's making up his backstory each time, other than that, he's always telling the truth, or at least what he believes to be the truth, right? Right. Now, I can't go through talking about this movie without bringing up <laughs> the one thing about that movie, about The Dark Knight, that I thought was quite bad, all right? And that part, it's based on when the premise of 
a scene or a sequence of scenes is so misplaced, it kind of takes you out of the movie a bit. And for me, that part of the movie was the two ferry boats scene. It was so fairy tale nonsense right. that it actually takes me out of the movie for a bit. So for those of you who forget, the basic premise is the, the Joker set up bombs on these two fairies. One is filled with criminals. One is filled with average citizens. And it says, you each have the trigger to blow up the bomb on the other person's boat. If you do that, your boat lives. And if neither of you do, by midnight, both boats blow up. And number one, the criminal boat would have been tripping over themselves to get at that trigger mm -hmm. to blow up the other boat. Like, I'm sorry. I mean, it's nice, this fairy tale, the people of Gotham believe in good. I mean, that sounds great. That's a nice line. But also on the, the citizen's ferry, right? Like, amongst these regular people, there's also, like, there's this one mom that the camera keeps going to with her little boy. There is no fucking reality in any multiverse where a mom with her child will not fight hungry lions to protect her child. And there is no reality in any multiverse where that mom goes, you're not killing my son. And taking that thing and blowing up the boat of criminals, especially with Joker introducing the fact that, well, like you cannot blow up the criminals, but if you don't at midnight, we're just blowing them up anyway. So really to the citizens, we're not losing anything here. Like those guys are going to blow up at midnight if we don't blow them up. But the only difference is we'll all be dead. And I get it that they wanted to set up this big philosophical triumph of Batman over Joker to have that moment where, where Batman can see, you're wrong. The people of Gotham believe in good. And like, I get it. You wanted to have that big philosophical triumph. The one time the Joker was dead wrong. But it was such bullshit that it kind of ruined that part of the movie for, for me, to be honest. With you. I, well, what's really interesting is when you watch this back, you realize a lot of people have complained, obviously, in the Batman, that they haven't liked the third act. Well, the third act has a lot of similarities with the third act of this movie. The difference is, is that in the third act of the Batman, it is Batman himself that rescues the people of Gotham and the people of Gotham recognize him as as a savior as a as a thing so batman is directly involved with the city of gotham answering the question batman has asked have i made a difference in this city and we actually see batman leading the people of gotham out and people are like well he's just he's just leading them out of this destroyed thing but but he's the symbol now you know he's gone from being the vigilante to being somebody who's recognized as bringing justice where i don't like the fact that batman himself is removed from this equation in this scene you know mm -hmm. it's turned over and it, it's like okay but the people of gotham they're not doing this because of batman batman's just got to hold his breath and be like oh i hope they do it yeah you know <laughs> and and I, I thought that was a, in a way it's kind of a mistake i mean i know then you're 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 you you go back in and like i would love it if the joker was on one boat and batman was on like batman was on the boat of convicts and joker was on the boat of regular people and and so it became they're staring each other down where bat but that's just that's the movie that wasn't made but something along those lines that, that, oh, <laughs> that that's like a joker scenario like like that's a typical joker scenario the two fairies I, it yes. just didn't translate well <clears throat> into a movie right but i will say the payoff 
of that bullshit. When now Batman and, and, and Joker, Batman has thrown Joker off the building, caught him by the leg and brought him up. The, the, the scene that follows, to me, where, it's, where, where some people will look at it and say, but it's just two guys sitting there talking. Yeah, to me, it's one of the most profound moments of the entire movie because he's got Joker hanging upside down by the leg now. And it starts with Joker going into the conversation. You really are incorruptible, aren't you? And it's like, you can't kill me because whatever. And I can't kill you because you're just too much fun. I think we're destined to be doing this. And right, that, that whole thing, I got goosebumps as Joker was talking to him about that, right? About how I can't kill you, you can't kill me. We are destined to do this probably forever. And I'm like, oh, and we never got to see it. Uh, no, I know. We never got to see it. Oh. But that, so even though I didn't like the fairy thing, the payoff of that scene was, wow, chef's kiss. Yeah, and I all the that. rest of it. I mean, the rest of the film is so, it's such a, look, this movie's wildly entertaining. You know, it's wildly entertaining, but it it, it, it has a pulp sensibility to it. I mean, it almost, it goes right up to the line of being too over the top, but then it never is. And that, that's a really hard thing to do. The tone of this movie is very difficult to capture and keep going. And um, I think that this movie, if nothing else, is probably the most fun Batman movie. I watch this movie and I just think this movie's delish. And much credit to Hans Zimmer throughout the whole thing. He played the themes that needed to be in the places they, they should have oh, been. Oh, yeah, the score. Well, it's almost atmosphere. It's almost like it's a metronome. Exactly. Ticking, giving you the pace. Yeah, it's not even a, 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 a song sometimes. It's just little sound effects he'll put in there that accompany other sound effects. And Yeah, this movie doesn't need Kiss from a Rose to yeah. make you feel emotional. <laughs> By the way, don't talk shit about Kiss from a Rose. Dude, I, I love Seal. I'm a huge Seal fan. You know, I, I remember watching this in theaters and when... um. He, well, well, he lets go of the Joker. It was like a lot of fans like saying goodbye to, you know, the actual actor. I mean, I shed a tear in the theater. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Um, also, I, what I really think is interesting, too, is when you, as we now in 2022 look back at the Dark Knight, right? There is, it's funny how there has been a shift and a double standard in a way. Because Bale's Batman kills some fools in this movie. At the end, he just straight up murders Harvey Dent. He kills he kills Two-Face. He dives at him, tackles him to throw him off the thing to save Commissioner Gordon's kid in the process. And, and, and by doing that, he killed him and, and he was dead. That's why I think a lot of people, there was an argument at the end of the film saying, no, no, he's not actually dead. I was like, no, yeah, he's dead. He's dead. But I don't remember there being any complaints from people at the time nobody complained and i think it was mr sunday movies that actually has a really good like kill count of when bruce wayne does things that i mean it, again he never sets out to kill anybody but so he kills two-face at the end and nobody bats an eye because of well of course he had to save the child there was no other i was either that or the child dies right so nobody died. but oh my goodness today if ben affleck does something mean to somebody in a batman movie oh batman would never do that it's like yeah yeah he would he's branding people yeah he was brand ben Affleck, not killing them not he, he brands kills me people. kills people too i mean i i think look in, in in i've never had a problem if you're watching the animated series or something it's fine to say batman doesn't kill but in the real world the conflicts that you see in this movie mm -hmm. people are going to die just in the process of 
what what's happening and it's not like batman doesn't set out to kill and if he can prevent somebody from dying he will or if he, he can prevent somebody else from taking justice into their own hands and killing someone because he doesn't want them to have that on their their conscience but you know batman's gonna rock and roll and do what he has to do he's just not setting out to murder people I, I i threw away i threw away all those rules or whatever things that apply to batman from the very beginning of this nolan uh trilogy and that, that batman not killing just didn't wasn't that important to me i mean i wanted a good movie you know what i mean if and he then, had to kill if but, he had to kill some people and it made sense kill him but the, by the way there's also this is a great thing that i always talk about too there's a scene where he's got maroney Maroney says to him, you should have done your homework, pal. I'll survive this fall. I'm counting on it. Uh, and he drops him. But I'm like, that's like a three-story fall. And I'm, I'm sorry, but if, you stand, if you're standing on the ground and fall over the right way and hit your head on concrete, there's a, good sh there's a good chance you may die. You drop a guy three stories onto concrete, that guy lands the wrong way. He, he's, he's dead. Oh yeah, but the writers didn't write. The writers wrote it so he just broke his ankle. I, okay, I, but he could he would have died. Uh, that anyway. that scene was right after Rachel Dawes died. So I I get his anger. Oh yeah, I, I'm absolutely. surprised he didn't 100%, 100%. kill him. 100%. I'm surprised he didn't kill him to be honest. No, I I, I agree. I, it's never that that aspect of of that has never bothered me. And it depends on the world that they set up. I mean, look at in Batman v Superman. Look at look at how armed his Batmobile is. It's got cannons on it. For God's sake, what's it supposed to oh, be doing? We said we said goodbye to the Tumblr, or at least the first Tumblr in this movie too. Oh yes, yeah, we did. Yeah, it was kind of like watching the Enterprise blow up for the first time. Not quite. Self destruct. <laughs> Boom! But how? But so try. It's hard to now that because we know worse, what happens. <laughs> but go back to two thousand and eight when we were watching this movie for the first time, and the one wheel. On the tumbler starts spinning and then the bat pod like it's it's like he was right driving a transformer but the bat pod comes shooting out i'm like what the hell just happened yeah, that was so cool it was and that is like the coolest looking motorcycle vehicle i have ever seen in any movie ever that look thing at was the guns so cool. mounted to that thing oh yeah cannons it's got cannons on the front of it too they did a whole special feature on the dvd for just the bat pod, how they created it that's some guy testing it out it doesn't really go that fast no for real. no it can't but you know they try to make it look faster in the movie but yeah that thing was awesome especially you could see the tumbler de deconstructing it be itself before it, it yeah. explodes yeah yeah so let's talk for a second about then one of the big plot devices in the film because they decided to touch on an issue in the movie that would be very relevant today. The issue of invasion of privacy and stuff like that when Bruce makes that device that basically turns everybody's cell phones into a mass eavesdropping device so he can literally spy on anybody and everybody in the city. And it's neat that he built it and that he built in a, a thing where only Lucius Fox could do it. But if he's the guy who built the machine, he would be able to figure out how to use it without Lucius Fox. But then set it to self-destruct and all that kind of stuff too. But I thought it was very interesting that they that they made that in there. And a little bit ahead of the curve, they were talking about privacy, invasion of privacy, your expectation of privacy, all that kind of stuff. So I thought it was kind of neat that they threw that in there a little bit. It, it played a very small part of the movie, but I thought that was no, interesting. but it's definitely there. And in terms of law enforcement and what they can do now and the technology exists, you know, we're 14 years later and these 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 problems are now all over the place. I mean, it's it's our, our privacy. We've given it up. 
It's it's gone. We're we're carrying around phones that are broadcasting information out about us ourselves. How many steps we take? I mean, there's so much stuff that your phone people can take off of your phone that that idea is more relevant now than ever. So that part of the film has aged quite well. Yeah, it really has. And, and what I jo- enjoyed about this uh, film, even with Batman Begins, is there were little scenes where Bruce is uh, testing out his tech or like, you know, trying to trying to make something else or like develop something. I like those scenes with Batman, which is missing from the Batman, the Batman movie that's out right now, which I, I miss. It didn't need to be there, but you know, right. I do like that aspect of Batman. Well, now let me ask you guys, since everybody it's, it's the topic du jour amongst film fans these days. What movie do you guys prefer the Batman or the dark Knight? I'm going to say exactly what I've been saying all along. I have, I have had 14 years to digest on the dark Knight, Right. I've had a couple of days with the Batman. Right. So I, I got I have to answer that question later. I honestly, I've only seen the Batman twice. It's only been a couple of days. So I'm not sure I'm ready for a definitive answer on that. But the very fact that this is even a conversation mm. is a testament to how bloody good this new Batman movie is. The very fact that we even are having, that people are even asking the question is an amazing monument to how fantastic this new Batman movie is. So I'm not saying I think this new Batman movie is is better than The Dark Knight. Like, after watching it, like, for instance, Heath Ledger's Joker, as great as Paul Dano is, and I Mm -hmm. think Paul Dano as the Riddler can be in the Best Supporting Actor conversation at the Oscars next year. I totally do. Heath Ledger's Joker shined a lot more as the antagonist of the film than than Dano's did. And that's a big part of the movie. There are certain aspects of the Batman that I thought, I mean, this is a grittier, darker Batman than even the Dark Knight was. So there are things that work better in one, things things that work better in the other. Again, I need a couple of weeks to think about it, so I'm not sure. See, I would say that that comparing the two movies is is actually unfair because both of them explore the whole idea of what the Batman actually is in very different ways. The Batman is more of a personal story about a man coming to grips with what exactly does he want? What does he want to do? What does he want to accomplish? What is what does it mean to be the Batman? I don't think this movie delves into what it means to be the Batman because we already know. This Batman has already established what Batman is supposed to be. I think what this movie is asking is what do we as a people like like what kind of a world do we the audience want to live in when i mean we're seeing it being played out on the international stage even right now that there are people that just want to watch the world burn and if people like the joker exist what are we going to do what is batman going to do uh about that and what are our institutions going to do as well and i think that that it, it it asks that on a bigger scale, whereas the Batman is asking it on a much more personal level, and it's delving into a different part of the Batman character. So I think both of these movies actually are d- explorations of the Batman character, but from different aspects. And I think they both work together very, very well. And something they both had in common was I never thought I would care about the Riddler or I would be scared of him or a, a type of character like that. Um, Matt Reeves did it with this, or Paul Dano did it with this Riddler and the Batman. It's same thing with um, the Joker and Heath Ledger. I never thought there would be a terrifying Joker, but he was terrifying. 
um with the things he did i enjoyed it because i'm i'm just you know a a piece of crap but <laughs> well but in a way but, hold on, i just want i just want to make it make uh let people know and who are watching live and in the live chat uh, i did put up a poll to ask our viewers that very question i mean since it is the topic the whole reason we're talking about the dark knight today is because the batman opened this past weekend we we're talking about so uh, i put that out there for people uh for those of you who are watching live you can go ahead and take the poll about which one do you prefer the batman or the dark knight let me ask you this what if i i believe in all my heart if paul dano was given the joker role he would play it just as good. It would it, be different. Yeah, yeah, but it would be different. Would be, but he would do brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, like, no I'm doubt. not, I'm not taking any way, anything away from Paul Dano and his Riddler. I just everything Heath Ledger did with this character, the little things, the little things he added to it, just took it over the top. I mean, it's one of the best performances. Uh, by the way, seen. with a little over 300 votes right now, uh, the Dark Knight. I honestly I thought the Dark Knight would win this by a landslide with people, but the Dark Knight is at fifty-nine percent, the Batman uh sorry, is at fifty-nine percent, the Batman is at forty-one percent. Uh so anyway. Well it, uh, yeah, it, it, that's 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 pretty surprising that it's that close. But I think, you know, the Joker might as well have descended from Asgard. He's he's literally Loki who's come down from the skies <laughs> to play with humanity. Whereas Paul Dano is one of us paul dano in a way like the batman is is comes from a broken home an orphanage he didn't have parents at all and we're seeing the the, the riddlers of the world we've seen them for the last 20 years we saw them in columbine we see them every day yesterday in iowa there was a drive-by shooting at a school you know people radicalizing other people on the internet and it's it's almost like the joker's coming from on high and paul dano is coming from within the, within us yeah. two different kinds of criminality um that the batman has to deal with and i think that you know I, I, the riddler by design is not what the joker is you know he's not that the joker is always going to be that larger than life character whereas the riddler is is a human being that's that is still still retains his humanity whereas the joker is like don't really care i'm just here to see what i what what chaos can i cause now before we move on to taking everybody the other members of our movie club here and taking their comments and observations uh, let's talk about the end of the film so batman has just killed harvey harvey's dead and they are now faced with the dilemma that it, that by the way the dilemma is a little flawed i'll talk about that in a second but it's like okay if the world finds out what what Dent just did. It'll overturn every case he's ever tried and convicted. He'll come across as a corrupt and blah, blah, and, and we can't have that happen. And the only way to protect the city is to embrace a lie. I killed him. This was me. This was all me. Everybody that Dent killed, I killed. And I'll be on the run. And, and then Gordon's talking to his son and says, um, now we have to chase him. We have to chase him so yeah he can be the hero and, and i can't remember he's not the hero we need he's the hero we deserve or the other yeah. way around i can't remember exactly but that was one of the purest moments of heroism i've ever seen in a superhero movie where he's like i will destroy myself it's one thing for a hero to be willing to lay down their life yeah i'll risk my life to save the world. like he was willing to destroy everything that he had built for years his how he's seen how he's perceived wanting to be a, an idea of hope for the city but realizing he can't be and the only way to save the city right now is to become the bad guy and i love that now the one problem i had with that premise is i think any court in the world would have said um he was just blown up 
he wasn't mentally all there. So no, this doesn't overturn every case he's ever tried. He just went through a massive trauma. But still, I, one of the best moments of heroism I think I've ever seen in a movie. What do you think well, about it's the, the I, you're You're right, but it's also the payoff of what Harvey Dent said. You live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah, you either die the hero or live you long die, enough to become and, the villain. And, yeah. and that's what Batman is doing. I mean, in doing this, he's actually doing exactly what Harvey Dent had said would happen. You know, and even though it's ironic that it happens to the Batman, um, it, it pays that off. So thematically, it works really, really well uh, as much as we might. I mean, what it doesn't do is it doesn't absolve us. You know, we're still left with we need we human beings the dwellers of gotham we have to be told a lie because we can't handle the truth you know we can't deal with the ramifications of that we're not strong enough to look at harvey dent and see what happened to him and how it was a tragedy they, they have to manufacture this lie to keep society in, in check and i think that in itself is the real problem that they can't tell the truth i i, I love how the way how gotham is this huge city but sometimes it, it reminds me of a small village. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at us. We're so divided. You could ask people, you could go into the country right now and say, do you think that this was a right thing to do to set up Har Harvey Dent and Batman as the villain? Half the people in this country would say yes, and the other half would say absolutely not. That was a terrible ending. There was a lot of sun in this in this Dark Knight. Yeah, the Dark Knight has a lot more sunshine. <laughs> than the Batman does. Not a lot of sunshine. People get out during the day. The sun doesn't appear enough in the Batman to even qualify for best supporting actor. Like that's that's how it's more of a cameo. The sun makes a cameo in the Batman. All right, guys, listen. We could talk about the Dark Knight all day, but we're gonna go over now and hear what you guys had to say about it. So let's get over there right now uh, and get to it. And we are going to start with. Where are we at? Uh, Moto Wassum <laughs> writes in three of three. I don't even see one or two of three. Nope, not there anywhere. It's not a riddle. I love. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not a riddle. Uh, I love this movie so much. And Ray, the terminal is awesome, and I love it. Again, thank you, John, Rob, and Ray, for this awesome movie club. Well, thank you for being here and being a part of our movie club. This is our fifth. It feels like we just started doing uh, movie club. This I is know. our fifth movie we're doing. That's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. All right, Comic Nizer writes. The opening heist scene to me is one of the best openings of all time in a movie, and the pencil scene gets me every time. The opening is fantastic. Like, I still, in terms of, like, comic book movies, I still put, like, X-Men 2, uh, Nightcrawler's Assault on the White House. That that still might be my favorite opening to any comic book movie. Um, the opening of Shang-Chi with the story of Wen Wu <laughs> being told. I mean, I, I that I loved, but this opening as well was just absolutely incredible. Absolutely fantastic. All right, next up, we got Topher Rocks who writes, I saw this film at 3.15 a.m. on opening night. Uh, I was blown away. This might be the best-paced movie I've ever seen. When watching Ledger, I didn't see him at all. I only saw Joker. I love this movie. It's my favorite film ever. And I'm glad you brought that up because we didn't mention this. And by the way, Topher just like uh, sent in a $20 super chat for that to support us. Thank you so much for that, Topher. This is a nearly perfectly paced movie. Mm-hmm. The cadence and pace of this movie is almost flawless. Like, I don't I, I don't know how Nolan lost his way a little bit with Tenet with pacing, but The Dark Knight, like a lot of, that's a hallmark of a lot of Nolan films. The pacing is normally absolutely brilliant. Oh, yeah. Like, you never felt tired. There's, 
every scene has a purpose and lays the groundwork for something. Then it just you just always feel like the movie is moving forward. It never feels like it meanders. You know what I mean? And they did a great job with that. And you're not alone, Topher Rocks. I think a lot of people consider The Dark Knight their fair. For me, I think it's okay. Take the Batman <laughs> out of it. Take the Batman out of it. All right. Because we we're just discussing. I'm not sure whether I like the Batman more than the Dark But take that out of it for a second. To me, The Dark Knight is my third, I think the third best comic book movie ever made. I still think the original, the first Avengers movie, like redefined comic book movies and all that kind of stuff. I think the first Avengers movie is the best one. I think Logan is my second favorite. Uh, that, But The Dark Knight for me, even 14 years later, is still in my top three. We'll see what happens with the Batman later on, but it's a damn great movie. All right, next up, Jerome writes, um, do you think Joker had a plan or he really was a dog chasing cars and found it interesting how everything he does put everyone in no-win situations. He absolutely had a plan. See, that's the thing. It's like him telling the story of his origins with his scars. He's making all that up as he goes along. <laughs> but the very fact, I mean, just look at the intricacy of his plan. The way he, pre in advance, put the bomb and the cell phone in that guy's gut. The whole plan of, getting, of attacking Dent but getting caught, he was planned the whole time that that was going on, that he, at the end of this, I'm going to get captured, I'm going to go in there, we're going to set off the bomb, I've already got my guys in place ready to kidnap Harvey Dent and Rachel Dawes to take them to separate places, we've already set up the bombs and explosives and all there. He was thinking 18 steps ahead. So, so yes, he says, oh, everybody's got their plans and their schemers, their schemers. He's a planner. He well, absolutely is a planner. Not, not only is he a planner, but I think he plans like he's reading a choose-your-own-adventure novel because he knows there could be five different scenarios to the outcome of each yes. one of these things that he's planning on. And he realizes whatever five things happen, my the rest of my plan is still going to work. So he has to make sure he, he's planning even further ahead in the sense that he loves the chaos that he's going to cause, and that's part of his plan too. And at times in this movie, he even makes uh, Bruce Wayne look dumb. Like that part at the window where Bruce Wayne just opens the, the blinds and then the the gun goes off or whatever, and then all the cops point their rifles at Bruce Wayne's window while he tries to shoot the mayor, right? Oh, yeah. I all mean, right. Why would he do that? Why would he open the blinds? That's clearly a trap. <laughs> all right. Know. Next up, uh, uh, Motossum writes, uh, a second part of this thing. This movie is also the only comic book movie where I feel that two villains work well. Unlike, say, Iron Man 2. Don't get me wrong. I love Marvel and the MCU. I prefer it over DC. Just my opinion. But did this movie really have two villains? I mean, I mean, the, the reality is Two-Face is in a heartbeat of the movie. I mean, it's not till the very end that he's in that hospital and we visit him there. And then he comes out and is threatens Jim's son. So I don't know that I would say that this is, I mean, yeah, there are several bad guys, but there are like, like lots of Marvel movies, lots of DC movies have, have several bad guys. Some that work, some that don't, but yeah, I, I don't really consider this a two villain movie. Really? All right. Ladislav writes, Oh, where do we go? Uh, after rewatch, I am shocked that I probably prefer Begins over Dark Knight. It had more heart, although the scene where the big scary prisoner on the ship was awesome. Nice to see some humanity in Gotham. <laughs> and of course, that was Tiny. Yep. Um, what was his name in the movie again? Zeus. 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 Hogan. Hulk Hogan's arch nemesis. Zeus. Zeus. 
<laughs> yeah, and he passed away recently, didn't he's he? President of Galaxy. Oh, man. did he? I, yeah, I think. I, I think so. His real name was Tiny. Tiny, Tiny Lister. I can't remember. Uh, what, was it Lister? Tiny yeah, yeah. Tiny, Tiny yeah. Lister. He died recently. He's uh, the president of the Galaxy in the Fifth Element. Oh, right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, You're right. But that whole moment goes. I'm gonna do what you should have did ten minutes ago. Takes it, throws it out. It's like that's great. Never would have happened. Complete <laughs> bullshit. But it was a great moment. It's good to see Tiny get his moment in there. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, uh, Moto Awesome also writes: uh, The Dark Knight is my number one comic book movie. Everything about this movie is great. Each character and their choices fit who they are throughout the movie. The dialogue is magnificent and quotable. It is. There's all so many quotable lines. So many quotable lines. Uh, most of them come from Joker. Um, to be fair, by the way, um, Eric Roberts as Maroney. Oh yeah. I, you understand. I have a total soft spot in my heart for Eric Roberts because he is the star of one of the greatest manly man movies of all time. Best of the best. Mm, with James Earl Jones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I won't go into the whole Dehan speech again, but uh, that's why I got a big soft spot in my heart for Eric Roberts. Hey, you're, you're entitled. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. and you're that's also right. entitled to go mm, every time you mm. talk about best of the mm. best. That's the best only movie the he says that sound to. Does that mm. sound to. Mm. So like good. <laughs> All right, next up, uh, Ryan Lohner writes, uh, I remembered so distinctly when I learned that Heath Ledger had died, I legit spent a couple of hours thinking it had to be a fake story. I still remember exactly where I was when I found out. I was at Lionsgate headquarters, and I, they have a screening room at their headquarters, and I was watching a Jason Statham bank heist movie. I, I think it might have even just been called Heist. I can't remember. And I think it's the bank job. Is, that, is it called the bank job? Is that called the... No, yeah, no, no, it's no, no, a no. remake of the bank no, job. No, no, you're thinking of the one with um, with uh, Incredible Hulk Boy, um, Edward Norton. And that's uh no that's the italian job is it yeah, yeah. Is it called the bank job yeah i think it's called the bank okay job. heist or the bank job it's really good by the way yeah i enjoyed it so i remember after the movie was done me and the 30 other journalists who were in there we walked out of their screening room into the foyer and the first thing of course that all of us do is turn on our cell phones and there was dead still silence as everybody was turning on their phones and we were all seeing the same thing Message after message after message of Heath Ledger died. And I remember standing there and all of a sudden people in that foyer kind of looking up and then looking at each other. Like, and just without saying anything, like understanding what we know, we all just found out. And I'll never forget that. I'll, I'll always remember exactly. Do you remember where you were? I don't remember exactly where I was, but, you know, I, I had, it was the Joker and there's another role he played. He played Skip Engblom in uh, Lords of Dogtown who was who owned the 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 shop where all the kids came to get their surfboards and skateboards and um it was based on stacy peralta's uh documentary about the beginning of dogtown skate skates who and directed that wasn't that um it was uh what's her face yes the um, one, uh, J james cameron's ex isn't no she, that that way it wasn't, no, it, it, it wasn't um it wasn't um anyway Catherine bigelow i forget god who's what I, I love that movie and i can't remember who directed it Somebody in the chat will say it, but Lord, he, he was, it's based on the documentary Dogtown and Z-Boys, but Lords of Dogtown, his performance in that, I mean, no one's going to remember it as much as they remember the Joker, but he was equally as good 
in terms of creating an indelible character. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, that can't be right. Because, you know, when somebody's that promising of an artist and we're robbed of what they could give us if they had continued on in their career, it was just a damn shame. And it was a it was a lethal concoction of 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 uh, prescription drugs. You know, it's not like he was a drug addict. It's the same kind of thing that happened to Prince. You know, you're suffering from from pain. Catherine Hardwick. Catherine Hardwick, yes. I, um, I remember being who directed in, the first Twilight movie, right? <laughs> I remember being in the going to check the mail and Anne pulls up. I think she was driving my older sisters and uh, old Acura Integra, the black one. She pulls up and she's like, she's a super bummed. I'm not sure if she was crying or not. I, 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 I it looked like she was crying, but she told me and I was like, from the Night's Tale guy. She's like, yeah. And at that time, she had a poster of him on her wall she was that's because if you ask Anne, she was deeply in love with him if like, you ask Anne, what's the the big quintessential heath ledger it's knight's tale <laughs> like, <laughs> i like would have never tale. watched that movie if she didn't put it on and just force me to watch it like she would try to put it on every single time i was down there it's not my type of movie it's a romantic comedy it's not my i don't like old older night night movies she puts it on i watched it like three straight times the day after that it was so good it was so it was so fun but she was completely sad and i was like i yeah. can't believe this happened it didn't hit me until after we saw the dark knight in the theater where i right. said i'm not going to see something like this ever again and i still haven't i still all haven't. right next up uh we go to ben uh, uh rayner writes eight out of ten for me 90 percent of the film i love the last act uh with two feet face feels rushed it's great but rushed for me personally you know what i I wouldn't say it's rushed, but I can understand how others feel it, it, it maybe came across. Like for me, it, it still worked a little on the fast side, but it still worked for me. It didn't feel rushed, but I can understand why it did feel a little bit rushed to other people. You know what I mean? So I, I can see where you're coming from in that, Ben. To me, it's about the more about the two fairies thing. But other than that, yeah. All right. Peyton Null writes, uh, still don't get the logo. Is that the bar? Is that a bar of soap? Oh, part logo for um, yeah, uh, yeah, movie, movie club. club. If you that's don't a, understand, we can't yeah. talk about. Yeah, the logo. if you don't understand what that is, we can't talk about it. <laughs> it's just got to say there, Peyton. We we are not allowed to talk about it. Uh, just just for that. Okay, uh, somebody in the live chat will tell you, Peyton. All right, Jerome writes. How did y'all feel uh, about Tiny Lester, aka Debo, from Friday? That prisoner who threw the detonator out the window. As you know, the actor died in 2020. We were just talking about that, Jerome. Yeah, I. I look to me, he was always the guy who would fight Hulk Hogan. I mean, he was Zeus and, and I remember seeing him in that movie and being so happy to see him in that movie. And it was a great moment. Again, I don't believe for a second there weren't murderers and whatever on that thing. who weren't who wouldn't have dived for that trigger and blown up the other boat instantly. But still, that was a very, very good moment. He's always terrified me when I watched him in like the Hulk Hogan movies. It's still, and he's the only one on that ship. Believable. That's believable. Who would be able to do that and not get his butt kicked? Yeah, <laughs> everybody would respect him. Yeah. Right? Everybody would respect him. He's the only guy in that boat who could have done that. All right, next up. Uh, Paul Kem writes, It still blows my mind that Heath Ledger was only 27 years old when he filmed this movie. I always assumed he was older than that. Yeah, I, I did a double check. Yeah, actually, Rob, you and I were talking about this before we started the video today. I was like, dude, how old was he again? Was he? And you mentioned he was 27. I'm like, I, it's hard to believe. Like, he, he comes across as a guy in his late 30s i mean he's there's a wisdom to his he mm -hmm. there was there was a wisdom to all of his parts i mean he was a really tr gifted actor mm. he really was i'll be honest 
I'll be honest, Heath Ledger to me was a bit of a hit and miss actor. Mm. Because for every time he did a Dark Knight or, say, um, Brokeback Mountain, which I think he got an Academy Award nomination for, he would have two or three that were really... So for me, like when he was totally on his game, he was world-class. It's just that he wasn't consistently on his game. Uh, mm. let's, let's just say that. But he was absolutely on his game in The Dark Knight. All right. Abraham Ruiz writes, Even after rewatching, I don't get why a villain like Scarecrow would be minimized to what he's doing in this movie uh, and Dark Knight Rises, but oh well. What else is he supposed to be doing? I mean, look, look honestly, think about it. When you look at Scarecrow we're introduced in, in Batman Begins, he's now wanted. There's nothing physically very impressive about the guy. And so he's low-level drug dealing. Right. I, I mean, the character is the character. There's really not much more to him. That I mean, it's, there are some comic runs where he's written brilliantly, but that's who he was in these movies. So I, I personally had no problem with it. Uh, all right, next up. I just like seeing him. It's just great to see and him. And he's though. great in Dark Knight Rises as oh, sitting yeah. on the tribunal. The tribunal with the whole you thing. Know, yeah. Great. It's good. That it's cool that Christopher Nolan kept going back <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah. And Christopher Nolan has gone back to him again uh -huh. because he's going to be in. He's starring he's, in Oppenheimer. He's, he plays Robert He's going to be the lead, lead in Christopher Nolan's maybe. next film. All right. Crashing Cody writes The Batman makes TDK look like Thunder Force. Mm -mm. I mean, hey, you're entitled to your opinion, Crashing Coyote. Uh, Abraham writes, <laughs> if you're good at something, never do it for free. I love that line. Even though it's coming from the Joker, it's still a go good quote to live by. It absolutely is. I completely agree. It and that's why he's a great character, because he's a lot of what he says is truthful. Yep. Truth. Yeah. The truth right there. If you're good at something, never do it for free. All right, next up. Uh, Black Rice 19 writes, I always felt like this movie needed an intermission after Rachel's death. I'm always emotionally drained when the third act starts whenever I rewatch. You know what? He's not wrong. He's not. There, there are some times, but not many movies accomplish this like The Dark Knight did. But when Rachel dies, you almost feel like you needed a five-minute break to just let it sink in. The movie, of course, cannot do that, and it has to continue to plod forward, and it does. But I felt like we were never given the time to really take in Rachel's death, which I think was shocking to a lot of people. Like, oh, she, she's not gonna like neither of them are gonna die. I mean, and, you kill the love interest. Yeah. And the, then, oh, sorry. Go uh, ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, and then they pretend to kill uh, Gore, uh, Gordon. Gordon. Yep. And the first time I watched it, I was drinking. All the Kool-Aid he was serving me. So yeah, I, was like, I, I totally oh, believed he was dead. Oh the my first God, time he's watched dead. The movie. Yeah. So they're taking you on this roller coaster. So you know yeah. how they really sell you that he's dead? When the cops go to his family's yes. house and tell yes. his wife. Yes. I don't care if you're trying to protect me. You cannot do that. Like you that. Is, no. <laughs> all right. I'm trying to imagine, like, if I did that to Anne, I would be dead. <laughs> like, it's like I would absolutely be dead. All right. Uh, Jamie Sundays writes. I remember I was 13 years old when this came out. I went by myself and sat next to an older man, and I remember him and I turned, him and I turned to each other and said, I think we're watching one of the best movies ever made. I remember being completely in awe of the film, inspired me to be a filmmaker to this day. I mean, that's, I mean, see, for, for me, that's like a Star Wars movie. It was, even though I was like five when Star Wars came out, Star Wars was the movie for me that set me on my lifelong path of being a major movie fan, right? The Dark Knight is that for people as well. The Dark Knight is that for people as well. 
Iron Man is like that for some people as well. Shawshank Redemption is like that for some people. It's one of those quintessential movies that for a lot of people, it's like, that's the movie that made me fall in love with movies. You know what I mean? So absolutely, I think you're not alone in that, Jamie Sundays. Well expressed, man. All right, next up. Black Rice 19 says, Aaron Eckhart is so underrated in this. Absolutely. Ledger is so good. I feel like we forget about Two-Face. I still think this is Eckhart's finest performance. I don't. Eckhart's great in it. Don't get me wrong. As particularly as Dent. He's great as Dent. But you got to see Thank You for Smoking. I've seen that. <laughs> he is so good in Thank You for Smoking. Yeah. He's not given a lot in terms of range in this movie. Right. You he's, know, he's the White Knight. He's the White Knight. And and while yeah his turn his 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 heel turn is is good, and he's good in it. But he's he doesn't. It, it's not like he's not. He, he just doesn't have that much to do. Yeah, it's not, he just wasn't given the platform to really show off right. the acting chops a lot. But I would encourage every everybody if you have not seen Thank You for Smoking, uh, directed by Jason Reitman, uh, who just recently directed the most recent Ghostbusters Afterlife movie. Also directed Up in the Air with George Clooney, Juno, things like that. Go yeah. and watch. Thank you for smoking. The it's Descendants. Wonderful. The Descendants. All right, next up. Jerome writes, what do you think happened to Ramirez after Two-Face knocked her out since it's implied that Gordon thinks she's dead uh, with five dead, two of them cops line? Well, I mean, if Two-Face is consistent, she won the toss. She won the court coin toss. So my assumption is, I mean, he, he was living and dying by that coin toss. My assumption is that she's alive. Maybe missing whatever, but my assumption in that was that yes, he's alive. <laughs> All right, Jamie Sundays writes, in 2018, they re-released it in 70mm IMAX, showing Nolan's true way to watch it and saw it at CityWalk. It was the best theater experience I ever had. Yeah, now, of course, you have to remember, I mean, the whole movie wasn't shot in IMAX. Right. There's only scenes, but yes, when you see it in a 70mm IMAX, which is where I saw it for the first time, the scenes that are shot in IMAX instantly overwhelm you and i mean that in a totally totally good way like in a totally great way all right next up uh, aller uh canine writes i was eight when this came out and i remember having to beg my parents to take me joker gave me nightmares for a few weeks later <laughs> and yeah i mean listen if you're younger that joker is, is love that joker john love that joke first of all a lot of people are afraid of clowns we have a buddy who's like deathly afraid of clowns uh, that's a lot of people oh, yeah. whoa way a lot of people so just that and then he's a psychopath murderous monster yeah. i mean yeah God i totally bless him. i totally get that dude all right uh let's see fanimator writes when I first saw it, I didn't like it that much. But recently re-watching this film for the fifth time, oh my God, it's one of my favorite movies. Nine out of ten, what a movie. You know, I don't, I've, I'm maybe four times in my life, maybe four times in my life, I've had a movie that I did not like when I first watched it and then later fell in love with it. Me too. Uh, the, the only one that really, really comes to mind is... Inglorious Bastards by Quentin Tarantino. I, with a capital H, hated that movie the first time I saw it. Hated it. I thought it was terrible. Fast forward like a year or two, and this is before I met Anne. I was, I was, it was one of my earliest days in LA. I just moved to LA recently, and I was on date with this girl, and we went back to my place, and she felt like watching Inglorious Bastards. 
<laughs> so me, I just want to keep her happy. So I'm like, okay, sure. Even though I hated it. And they were sitting there watching it. And I just ignored her because I was like, this movie is awesome. What? Like, was I in a bad mood the day I saw it? Like, I, I like it just left me confounded. Like, I don't know. Why did I not like this movie? It is now my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm. I love that. But again, that's only happened out of the four or five, six thousand movies I've seen. That's only happened one, two, or three times at most. But do you have one that's, that's like that uh, for The you? one that sticks out the most is The Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, that's... I've heard a number of people mention that. I, I, I don't know why I hated that movie the first time I saw it. It was on Christmas Day, and I think I was monstrously hungover, and we went and saw Any Given Sunday and then Talented Mr. Ripley. And I think that's how we, we saw Talented Mr. Ripley first. And I adore that film. Adore it. I could watch, the, especially the first 40 minutes when they're in Italy, I could watch that forever. I love that movie now. And really love likes it. it, too. All right, next up. We got Jerome writes, how many people do you think Batman killed here? Again, I keep referencing back to this video. Mr. Sunday Movies did a Batman kill count video. Yeah. I think he had it up to three or four in this movie. I can't remember. Again, if you guys haven't seen that video by Mr. Sunday Movies, you should go watch. It's pretty good. Fanimator also writes, Heath changed the line from, from the script so well. Yeah, I mean, and Christopher Nolan gives his actors some leeway. Because remember, he'll do several takes. He'll say, do it just the way it's written. And then, then he'll give the actors some flexibility to try to improv a little bit and see how it works. And then he'll be willing to keep that. He works with actors very well. And I think it's important to remember in comparisons with The Batman 2 is that this movie is based on a story by David Goyer and Christopher Nolan. And it was written, the script was written by Christopher Nolan and his brother Jonathan. Yes. So he wrote this script the same way that... So story this is, by um, David, David, uh, Goyer. David Goyer. And this is totally an auteurist vision the same way the Batman is. So I think they make an interesting compare and contrast. You know, Aaron, our own Aaron Cummings, she dated David Goyer for a while? I did not know that. I think she she mentioned that on our show once before. I was like, yeah, she The dated. first movie I ever edited was written by David Goyer. Really? Arcade for Full Moon. There you go. There's so many David Goyer connections Telling here. Telling you. All right. He's short. Let's see. Michael Johnston writes, no matter how many times I try, I don't see HL. Heath Ledger. Oh, Heath Ledger. Ledger. Yeah, I mean, he just, he disappears Bro. into his role in this Bro, movie, man. just incredible. Uh, Addison writes, for being a dark film, the colors are actually quite vibrant in this movie, whether it's lighting from fire or the color grading as a whole. True, but after seeing The Batman, I don't know that I consider The Dark Knight all that dark of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, it's like... Oh, look at the beginning. In the middle yeah. of broad daylight. You know, it's not a heist during the dark. It's it's a heist during the day. And the weather changed dramatically. It's always raining in Gotham now. Yeah, now it's always raining. It's always nighttime. It's like it's an Alaskan city. It's always night. 60 days a night. All right. Uh, next up, we got uh, Spying Mentor 087 writes, Hey, John, Rob, and Ray, today is my birthday. Happy birthday Happy to you, birthday. man. May you have a wonderful birthday and a fantastic year ahead for yourself, man. Have a great one. Thanks for being here and joining us on your birthday. All right. Suthius writes, I remember seeing this on the big screen and just saying, oh, shit, when the tumbler got all messed up. Then I said, oh, shit, when the bat pod exploded out. Coolest shit I've ever seen in a long time. Again, today we see it and we know it's coming. So it's like, yeah, that's cool. But you take yourself back. To the first time you saw it. and I remember losing my freaking gourd when that when the when the bat pod ejects out of the thing and the seeing the tumbler with the wheels that are about seven feet thick and rolling around. It and however they badass. made that work, 
because it explodes out forward and does the whips around and yep. you know it's it's so cool. You know, I, it always bothered me why he had to get into that position to control the Batmobile since the least amount of armors right there in the front. Like if he did a head on, he would have his head would have gotten it was smashed. For weapons control, main weapons. He went into I can't. But now it made sense. Yeah, it totally made it sense. Totally after makes that. sense. All right, uh, Sir Q twenty seven writes one of two. I live near the city, and my dad used to work downtown. When I was old enough, uh, he and I watched the movie, and later we drove around, and he pointed out all the places that they filmed. I guess you must be in a Chicago. Um, like, here's where they flipped the truck. I saw it from my office window, and that's where they actually blew up the building. The explosion was huge, etc. I will always love this movie. You know, it is still... It doesn't matter how long you're a movie fan or whatever. I still get a remarkable kick. Whenever I'm able to physically be at a place I recognize from a movie. And like to, to me today, um, you know, the movie that Edward Norton is my co-star in, The, the Incredible Hulk. Sure. Um, they literally shot that on the street that my apartment overlooked. <laughs> when I was back when I was doing the movie blog, I was living in this little bachelor apartment and I would overlook it, and they shot it right there on Main Street in Hamilton. And now to this day, when I watch that, but like Hamilton is used in so many movies and TV shows like Doom Patrol, Titans, like it's it's they use it an awful lot for like a hundred movies or whatever. But it is or when you're living in L.A. and you're walking around, it's like they shot that here. They shot that here. It is the coolest feeling in the world doing that. And whether you're a kid or an adult, uh, I still get that feeling, Sir Q. I, I still totally get that feeling. I'm glad you did, too. All right. Uh, Jerome writes, think Two-Face should have lived in the end. Totally would have ruined the message of the movie. He shouldn't have lived. That wouldn't have served the story. You don't sacrifice your story. You know what? This character's really good. But the story calls for his death. It needs his death for us to have, for well, the story to conclude the way it's supposed to conclude. If he didn't die, he die, Batman wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't have blamed everything on him. They couldn't have done the end of that movie. Yeah, no, he, he had to die. Again, that's the thing. Bad filmmakers make the, make the story serve the characters. Great filmmakers make the characters serve the story. Stories, you say this all the time, Rob, story comes first. Story comes first. And for them to get the story to where it needed to be, Two-Face had to die. Unless I'm watching. <laughs> yeah, unless, unless Ray's watching. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Hugo Alonso writes, I love Gordon's monologue towards the end of the film, accompanied by Hans Zimmer's score. It's a truly magnificent ending to a great film. Yeah, after, again, a monologue that couldn't have happened if Two-Face didn't die. Right. But as Batman is running away, him talking to his son, kind of a weird conversation to have with your son. But still, the great monologue is going to, it was a great way to end that film, Hugo. All right. Brandon Townsell writes, uh, OG Campia, Rob and Ray, what's happening? I still remember going to see this movie opening day, and I've seen it a hundred times since. Joker is a bad MF in this movie, and the pencil disappearing trip trick <laughs> will never get old. It never gets old. It's no, it does not. I've seen that thing. I've seen that scene 50 times, and I'm watching this movie again last night, and even when it happened, I'm like, that, damn, that's so cool. Okay, I got a match trick. Gonna make the pencil. But see, that's what they say. This Joker does not look physically intimidating. But he can handle himself. Oh, yeah. This Joker can totally... As a matter of fact, we didn't get to see what happened. But when he goads the cop, when he's in the holding room, and he goads the cop into physically attacking him, we don't see what happens. We've seen coming out with the cop with a knife to his neck, right? This is a Joker who can handle himself. And he has and, no fear. And he has no fear, and he'll kill you. Yeah. He has no problem killing none. Uh, okay, let's see. Next up, 
we've got uh, Nathan Winning writes, I'm just so happy the Batman is at least in the same conversation as the Dark Knight. I love both these movies. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. That's the beautiful thing about being a film fan. We don't have to choose one. We can prefer one over the other, sure, but we don't have to pick one. And again, if you had told me, by the way, our our, our poll finished at 60% Dark Knight, 40% hmm. The Batman. If you had told me six months ago that you we would be even having this poll and more than 3% of people would be picking The Batman, I would have said, what? Like the very fact that it's that, it's that close amongst people and that it's even in that conversation, it's a huge thing. And now we've got yet another fantastic Batman to celebrate. Fantastic Batman movie to celebrate. All right, uh, where are we at here? Right, Jerome who writes, I think there were ways Joker's plans could have failed, like if characters made different decisions than he expected. Sure, but that's part of his brilliance is that they made decisions that he guessed they would make. He anticipated. But again, yeah, there's many times it could have ended because Joker, like, his plan was to get caught and get into the prison. But he was totally ready to throw that plan away to have Batman hit him with the bat pod. Hit me, hit me, I want you to do it. I want you to do it. But he didn't. And he kind of maybe in the back of his head knew Batman wouldn't do it. Yeah. So that's a, a testament to just how brilliant he was. Mr. Hank Dunn writes, I love this movie, but Batman never felt like Batman to me. Uh, it always felt like Bruce being Batman rather than the other way around. Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's And that's fine that they do that. But that's why when Ben Affleck's Batman comes around and we finally had a Batman that to me felt like Batman was the real guy. When the mask was off and it was just him alone, he's Batman. When he's talking to Alfred, he's Batman. And then when he has to go out in public, he puts on the fake mask of Bruce Wayne. And that is one thing that as great as Christian Bale's Batman is, they never got that. All you guys see is him, when him and Alfred are talking about, you know, talking about things, like he's totally Bruce Wayne. He's not Batman. No. So Bruce Wayne is the real guy. Batman is just the mask he puts on. Once you get into Ben Affleck, and as we get into Robert Pattinson as well, they've made that philosophical shift where Batman is the real guy and Bruce Wayne is the other guy. But again, it worked for this movie. It works for this franchise. And um, yeah, so there's that. All right, next up. Uh, Ishmael Montoya writes, uh, watching this film today and hearing your analysis, I can now accept that the Batman is my new favorite Batman. John, it's your turn to accept it. I, I no, that's bullshit. Uh, I mean, if I, if that's how, after I think about it, if that's how I feel, then that's how I feel. It's nonsense to think that's what it is. And you just need to accept it. No, 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 no not at all. At some point I may come to the conclusion that I think it's the better one, but the, all I care about right now is that these are two fantastic movies right and we get to enjoy them both it's so i mean i tell you what there was something really fun about having just watched the batman twice and then watching dark knight last night you know it, it just there was something really satisfying gratifying about that all right uh next up uh jetfire 97 writes I just showed my grandma this trilogy last weekend. Nice. And she loved it. She felt sad for how dense life turned sideways and enjoyed the action scenes. I mean, yeah, listen, there is a Shakespearean tragedy to the story of Harvey Dent. I mean, there always has been like in the histories of the comics and stuff like that, but it's done so well in this. The guy who truly was the white knight destroyed. And there is a Shakespearean level of tragedy to that. And what happens to him is so horrific. So horrific. Both physically and emotionally. Yeah. 
the loss of Rachel, the destruction of his face, the whole bit. Yeah. All right. Next up, we're getting close to the end here, guys. Brandon Beal writes, The CGI Two-Face reveal glued me to my seat. Man, I love this movie and love me some movie club. Keep bringing the great content. Well, thank you for being here, being a part of it, Brandon. But listen, we've talked about it already. But again, leading into it, I'm like, it's been a while since I've seen the Two-Face look. I, I wonder now how dated it might feel. Nope. No. That don't look dated at all. That looks like ILM could have done that today it's amazing oh my god so great it lives in your nightmares too man all right next up robert goodwin writes i love the joker in the dark knight and 89 joker i mean that's listen i honestly think and people when i tell people i really like jared leto's joker and i don't give a fuck that people think i'm crazy for that i don't give a shit i think there was a lot of really cool stuff about jared leto's joker i just think they misused the character but when you look at the history of batman there's a very big challenge that faces every filmmaker make a joker who is in his dna joker but also completely unique from any other joker we've ever had heath did that for jack's joker he embodied that spirit of chaos that jack's joker had but in a totally different more guttural sort of way yeah then when you moved into i think jared leto's joker was a very different was quintessentially joker but manifested in a very unique way joaquin phoenix's joker very much that spirit of joker but manifested in a very very different way and going all the way back to caesar romero and whatever but i've personally really liked all the iterations of joker i I have too they're all very different and they all work in in uh in their own ways and i have to say i really loved seeing uh heath ledger uh, heath ledger i really love seeing jared leto come back in the nightmare sequence in yeah, the Zach end Sires of the Justice hbo League. one yeah i thought that his uh, he really for the first Dude, time he got to shine and play i see you know where i think he really did again they they should have used joker and harley a lot more in the first suicide squad but one of my favorite joker scenes probably in my top five favorite joker scenes is the nightclub scene in Suicide Squad, when who was it? Uh, who was the the gangster that came in? It was uh, not Ludicrous. It was uh, 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 Common. Common. It was so Common comes in, and he's he makes a comment about Harley Quinn, and then I don't look. I don't give a shit what you think about that movie. That scene's awesome. It is awesome. That scene is awesome well it it also shows you what it could have been yes yes and that's the frustrating thing that scene tells you what this joker could have been if they'd given the character a little bit more breath in it but yeah i i I really dug it okay anyway that's just me enough me going on about jared leto's joker uh i I mean obviously i still prefer joaquin phoenix's joker i still prefer heath ledger's joker obviously but I, i just thought it was a really good iteration in and of itself all right next up purple haze 4564 writes Hey, when Joker was thrown off the building, I feel like it was a great callback to Jack Nicholson's Joker falling off the building and died. You know what? You might be right about that. I never really considered that. Nope, but I I can see where you're coming from. Although I will say this too. If you go back and watch that scene, he was falling a long time before Batman got him by the thing. At that point, he was reaching he was heading towards terminal velocity enough that he was falling long enough and fast enough that suddenly getting his leg jolted like that 
might have pulled his leg right out of his socket. Yeah, I'm not really absolutely. sure. But still, it was a great scene. I loved it. I didn't care. All right. Uh, next up. Casey Mack writes, want to see a magic trick? I can make this pencil disappear. Boom. It's gone. Again, such a great one of the maybe a top two greatest Joker and moments of all time. the first time you see it, it's totally unexpected. Oh, That's yeah. Was, so in the movie, it, it, it was a, a perfect way to establish joker without a shadow of a doubt that he is a murderous psycho that he will he's willing to kill at the drop of a hat i love that about that sequence yep all right next up uh christopher writes is dc relying on batman too much no similar to how lucasfilm always falls back on legacy characters no look the only there is no such thing it's only are you making good movies that's it it's all people care about are you making good movies Look, I always bring this back. People try to say it's not the same thing, but it fucking is the same thing. Nobody complained. Man, this week, another Breaking Bad? We do. We just had two Breaking Bads in the last two weeks. Another one? We just had eight of them last year. Look, as long as you're telling good stories and the character is working and you're staying fresh with it and you're bringing new things to the table, no. Th listen. Winning cures everything. If you make two bad movies in a row, then you're getting too much of it. If you make three completely great in a row, then you can't get enough. It's kind of like the same discussion people have with the length of a movie. <laughs> if it's if it's three hours, if it's great and it works for it and it's the right pacing and it's three hours, then the more the merrier. And so, no, I don't believe they're falling back on Batman too much if you're making him work. And this Batman movie completely worked and again like I, what's a show i'm watching right now or maybe like peacemaker i just watched was it eight or nine episodes it's eight eight i just watched eight weeks in a row of P i just watched eight episodes of a row of peacemaker i wasn't getting tired of it they weren't relying on it too much because it was always great and i couldn't wait to tune <laughs> it's in it's not next like week. he's an a-list character yeah and it's not it's like so yeah no i don't think they are as long as they're making it well if once they start making it not well, then yes, and it's getting into it too much. All right, that does it for all the questions. Then we had a couple of people just send in super chats to be supportive. Future Millionaire, and that's a great name, <laughs> sends in a $10 super chat just to be supportive, as does Daniel Yusuf Abdu sends in a super chat to be supportive. Thank you so much, guys. And guys, with that, that will conclude with the gavel. This meeting, we now call adjourned for this meeting of Movie Club. Guys, thanks so much for being here and being a part of Movie Club this week. Uh, on the John Campus Show tomorrow, we will announce what next week's Movie Club. You know what? I'm actually going to put together a schedule. We forgot to play Mark. Oh, yes. I'll have to edit that in. Uh, we're, I'm going to have to put together a, a schedule for Movie Club that's like three or four weeks in advance, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, guys, that will do it for us for now. Thanks a lot for being here and joining us for Movie Club. For myself, Robert Meyer Burnett, Ray Ora, Heath Ledger, thanks a lot for being here, guys. And until next time, bye-bye. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought I'd care about gardening until I bought a house in the suburbs. But now I find myself in conversations about liquid fertilizer, and I wonder, am I the fertilizer guy now? No, no way. Everyone knows the ratio between phosphorus and nitrogen, right? Yeah, I'm still totally cool. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers.